the American Theatre Wing, and the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts bring you the American Theatre Wing's Guide to Careers in the Theatre. This session, the musical book writer. Hello, I'm Pia Lindstrom with the American Theatre Wing, and with me is musical book writer Peter Stone. What's a book in the theatre? Well, a book is really belongs in the province of the musical. It's, it's a play, but it's a special kind of play. It's a play that is written in collaboration with a composer and lyricist, be that two people or one or three people, uh, which has uh, also been my experience. But the fact is that the book is, a, is basically a, a portion of the, create, the creative music, a portion of the musical. Um, we'll get into later about how, what, what part the book plays in musicals and, and uh, how it started and where it came from and where I think it's going. Why aren't you called a playwright? Because there are, together we are an author. We are, we are three-thirds of an author in, in essence and this, is our, this specifies our job. We're a dramatist. Dramatist is fair. So you're a dramatist who has to collaborate. Yes. And that's part of what a book writer does, is collaborate with the lyricist? Who else? And the composer. Now, that, that, there are several collaborations. The theater is a collaborative process anyway, but in the musical it's even more so, because the creative process, that is before any production takes place, involves a collaboration, which mm -hmm. is not true in, in, um, with, a, with a straight play. Uh, there the author writes it, uh, completes it, rewrites it, whatever, and then goes for a production. Here the three of them, uh, or however many there are, the three disciplines uh, work together. And it's very, very intricate. I've often compared it to a marriage uh, because uh, it's, uh, it's not just that you are getting together to give birth to something, but you have to learn how to live together, be, be honest without being... Uh, without being destructive, um, you know, you, how do you like my hat, dear? Well, right, well, they play a song, you read a scene, one must uh, be honest, one can't say, you know, I don't like that song, you can, you know, I think you can do better, uh, is good. Uh, there, there are ways to evolve a collaboration, but it's a very, very intricate thing. And um, it's not unlike a doubles team in tennis, that is to say, two great tennis players get together uh, to play doubles, but until they've played together a long time, until they've learned each other's strengths and weaknesses and uh, worked out a strategy, they really are never going to become a championship. So you uh, would never be a book writer alone? Well, you can't be. You, I have written a book before there was a score, and I've written the book after there was a score, and neither one is very... Um, is very uh, efficacious. It's not a good idea. 1776 uh, turned out to be uh, all right because there was a score, but it was a gigantic score that came down in length uh, quite a bit. There were 26 songs that came down to 10, uh, really. And that's the only one I ever did where I wrote a book after there was a score that worked out well. I've also Worked, uh, written a book that the score was added to, and that's a very unhappy prospect because what happens is that it, it's all involved in where songs go and how they're used in a in a in a musical, and 
the thing about the difference between let's talk about the difference between playwriting and book writing for a mm -hmm. minute because it's quite mm -hmm. germane to this. Um, a musical book is two hours uh, of story, like any play, but told in one hour. You only have one hour in which to do it. So economy and shortcuts and shorthand and um, invention is needed to keep your story because the score takes up the other hour more or less and doesn't add much to the to the ongoing story. It's not supposed to. Um, it's not its job. The point of the of the uh, score is to punctuate. Um, emotionally and to punctuate either with comedy, with, with romance, with, with uh, um, any number of emotions, but that's what it's there to do, not to further the story. So that you have to, most playwrights sit down and they write a, a book and they've got two hours of book and then I add to that another hour or so of score and they end up with something that's, that's uh, unwieldy and probably unusable. The other difference between playwriting and book writing, which is even more important, is that it, book writing of a musical is really about two things. One is uh, construction, and the other is um, uh, the, um, I'll find the word in a minute, because uh, I know I know it, because that's <laughs> how I make my living, uh, a concept. concept. Concept and, and construction. construction. So somebody has a, a concept, that is an idea, for a, a book. Beyond that, how to do it. It comes from the book, the concept of how to do it. And you, you need a concept, otherwise you are, just, you are just telling a story, which sometimes, it used to be the case where you told a story rather, rather linearly and you started, but it's gotten a little more intricate than that. And so for, as an example, uh, when I was uh, asked to do um, uh, the Will Rogers story uh, some years ago, I, I was reluctant to do so. I didn't think his life was very interesting. His, oh. his, his story is marvelous. He was the biggest star this country has ever and probably ever will produce. He was a gigantic force politically, socially, uh, and in many other ways in this country. When he died, unfortunately, in an accident, the country reacted uh, in such, not since Abraham Lincoln had there been such an outpouring of grief. He was a very, very important figure historically. But his life wasn't very interesting because he didn't have much, uh, much drama in it except mm -hmm. for the way he left it, uh, which was a, quite dramatic, his death, but otherwise. And there's no point inventing things, inventing marriages that didn't exist, girlfriends <laughs> that didn't exist, uh, uh, any other bankruptcies that didn't exist. So in this case, I looked for a concept that allowed one to tell the story and make it entertaining. And it suddenly occurred to me that he was the biggest star of the Ziegfeld Follies. And Ziegfeld, if Ziegfeld told the story of Will Rogers, what would it sound like? And that's ultimately what we did. And so Ziegfeld keeps interrupting and <clears throat> changing things. He met his wife in a railroad station in Oklahoma in a small town. Ziegfeld wouldn't stand for it. He said, no, they must have met someone more, somewhere more exotic. And it ended up they met on the moon in a rocket station. But it was the same scene, but it was done with, with spectacle and entertainment. So you and need imagination to be a Well, clearly writer. that. But you need to have a concept on how to tell this story. And you need I actually concept. used that same concept when we just did Annie Get Your Gun, the revival. The story, Annie Get Your Gun hasn't been done. It's probably the most blissful score ever written. Mm. It's just a remarkable score by Irving Berlin. 
But it hadn't been done in 55 years because the story was rather simple, and by today's dates, I use the word corny. I don't use it so pejoratively. It was simple and a little too simple for today's uh, stage. But it occurred to me that you couldn't, if, you, if we did it simply, we, it would be rather strange. But if Buffalo Bill, who was presenting this, did his version of it, it's quite like what we did on Will Rogers. And that seems to have worked, and that's... Uh, is it possible to learn how to do what you just described? You can learn part of it. Part of it is, is learnable. Uh, the, the, the technical aspects of it, uh, how, to, uh, how to construct can be, that's the other half of it. Construction is really important, more so important even than a play, you, because you must construct uh, a very, very intricate um, uh, edifice here that, 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 uh, on which to hang all of the other collaborations that go on uh, in the theater. Uh, so this uh, construct, you know, everyone says the dialogue. Well, you know the actors make that up as they go along. You know that. <laughs> uh, but, the, but, the, but the construction is really it. And you can learn construction. Yes, yes. What there would are, you do to learn construction? Well, there are musical, uh, not, but there are dramatic uh, uh, courses. Uh, I went to the Yale Drama. Um, uh, I, uh, there are other very good drama courses around. Just to, you can read plays. Actually, all you have to. The reason I got into musicals in the first place. I was a playwright. Um, I was writing plays. I not thought about. I loved musicals. I went to them. I saw them uh, all. Uh, but I did not see myself as doing that. And then an opportunity arose uh, to do one. Uh, for Broadway, and all I wanted to do was get on Broadway, and it also starred Alfred Drake, who at the time uh, was uh, arguably the greatest uh, singer-actor of the stage, and it, it was a very attractive idea. It was based on a play by Sartre that I had seen when I lived in Paris, and, and, and it was a very, so I did it. And I got hooked on it, and um, I actually didn't know how to do it. I went to Frank Lesser. Frank Lesser was a terribly talented, successful, and sophisticated uh, man who could, was articulate enough to, to express how to do it. I go and say, where do songs go? How do you know when a song comes? How do, how do you do this? How do you do that? And he was terribly, terribly uh, uh, helpful. And um, more than that, he was inspiring. Mm -hmm. But when I got through with the musical, though it was not the success we had hoped it was, it wasn't an abject failure, but it didn't turn out to be what we hoped, I was bitten. And what I was bitten by was I suddenly realized, music, uh, the straight play at that time, this is many, many years ago, just before the Civil War, you understand, <laughs> uh, when I was young. But the, 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 the theater at that mm -hmm. time, namely the straight play, was, was still immersed in naturalism, in, rea in realism and naturalism. And naturalism was a kind of a dead-end thing. It was very important uh, when it came along as part of the great social revolutions of the, of the 19th century. Uh, and even the end of the 18th century, and it talked about social things. Ibsen talks about the water supply and, and venereal disease and all these social mm -hmm. problems of the time. Uh, although he was a master playwright and the plays are, are wonderful, they dealt with social problems. And so it went on through the 20s in this country and the 30s and the great social upheavals in the plays. And, um, it seemed to be a dead end. The, 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 the fact of the audience sitting there as, a, as a eavesdroppers with the fourth wall being mm -hmm. transparent and seeing reality on the stage. I'm a great believer. I, all through my uh, school studies and afterwards, I became a great, great 
devotee of Aristotle's poetics. And mm -hmm. present company accepted, he was the only critic I know of uh, who was really uh, spectacular. And he talks about the properties of theater, and there were six, not three. And naturalism and straight play handled three, plot, character, and theme. But he mentions three more, poetry, movement, namely dance, and spectacle. And those three things exist in the musical theater, which did not exist anywhere else. Poetry used to be part of the straight theater. Um, the uh, spectacle and, and, um, and uh, movement used to be part of it. But with realism, it went away. With naturalism, all those things went. The conventions of the theater, things like uh, soliloquies. But, and then when Freud came along, a person standing alone talking to himself, uh, you'd, you'd put a net around him, uh, which was not the point. You were just expressing inner mm -hmm. thoughts. But still, it was a great jump for an audience. Mm -hmm. in, in, but it's no, I think it's no accident that one of the greatest pieces of musical theater ever written is called Soliloquy in, uh, in Carousel. Oh, and um, the conventions came back through the musical. You mentioned a musical by Sartre. No, it was a straight play a straight that he play wrote called Keen, about the Keen. life of Edmund right. Keen, the great actor, and we turned it into a musical. I see. Um, and so I think that um, I became devoted to the musical because it opened up a way of telling stories that didn't exist at the time. Then when the so-called Theater of the Absurd, when Beckett and UNESCO and Albee and all the rest came along and, and helped destroy naturalism, uh, it became even more possible in the straight play. But then, by then, to do the things that were necessary for me uh, were too expensive to do. <laughs> Spectacle was too expensive in a straight play. That movement and dance and poetry, all of that became uh, too complicated for straight play. So uh, I became a musical person uh, because that was the way I wanted to express myself. What sort of a person do you think goes into your line of work? Uh, uh, well, someone obviously, uh, you have to be mad to start. <laughs> well, okay, in, in mad. This, in, this, in this sense. Most people say, well, I don't want to collaborate. I want to do my own work. They misunderstand right. what this collaboration is. It's not really a collaboration as a playwright. It's a collaboration as an author, a different situation. Nobody writes your book but you. Nobody does your work but you, no more than you do the music or the, or the lyrics. So it's a collaboration of, of disparate parts which are then put together into a whole, but you are not collaborating on playwriting. Right. You're doing that. So but that's the first thing. You've got, to, you've got to understand the nature of collaboration. Also, right. you've got to understand the differences between the straight theater and the musical theater, which right. we've been talking about. And what other attributes? What kind of people? What are the qualities a, a person would need? Well, it's also, to talk about it, uh, it's also somewhat thankless uh, because all one hears about with the great musicals, and I've had 15 productions on Broadway, and all one hears about, I mean, is the, you know, I did, I wrote the Julie Stein show, <laughs> and I wrote the Richard Rogers show, I worked with him. I wrote the, you know, all these shows were the, the press, frankly, in the New York press and all around. When I see reviews around the country, the, the New York critics are pretty good about it, uh, not the columnist, but the, pre the critic, mm -hmm. But around the country, it's the composer's the show. The composer is more well-known. It's not about even well-known. It could be his first show. But it's the musical That's belongs it. to the composer. So you have to realize that you're not going to be credited with what you've done very much. But if so that matters you don't have, to you. So you don't have to have a big ego to do this. You mean you, you can have a normal-sized ego. Well, you need a big ego to do it. But what oh. you need is some kind of uh, governor on it, mm -hmm. something that says, look, this isn't why you're doing it. 
You're not doing it to become a household word because you never will. Mm -hmm. You're not doing it, be, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, the kind of fame and fortune that can come is very important within the community you work in. What do you care? Right. Do I really care if anybody uh, in Cincinnati has ever heard of me? No, of course not. Uh, do I care if anybody in New York is ever Yes, I in do. The so they do. Yes, in the theater community, which know. matters because the rest of it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, they don't know the name in, in Cincinnati. They don't know the name of uh, Tony Kushner. So right. you know who's a great playwright. So why should they know a a, a, um, a book writer? So you have to do that. Secondly, there is still, even though the nature of the musical book has changed radically in terms of its importance to the show you are still doing half the work for a third the, of the pay. Uh, the musical, the, the royalties are still split two-thirds to the composer and lyricist, one-third to the book writer, even though the book writer is in most cases producing at least 50 and maybe mm -hmm. more, 50 percent of the finished product. That's an inequity that exists. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very hard to overcome. Naturally, composers and lyricists don't want to, don't want to overcome it. Uh, and so it's there. But it must offer you something because, as well, you said, uh, you've done all these well, productions. Well, you still, I mean, so. if the show works, there's plenty to go around. But still, it's, it's upsetting. Mm -hmm. The musicals used to be, in the teens, 20s, and 30s, a score-driven operation. That is to say, the music, uh, it was about music, basically. And the books followed the score around. Mm -hmm. uh, they were rather insipid, uh, clever. The dialogue was good, but they were rather, the stories were foolish uh, or less. I mean, for instance, um, uh, a weekend guest uh, house party in Connecticut. That's it, period. But they're not so foolish today. We have some very serious musicals. Oh, it's quite different. It's quite different. That was what it was until Oscar Hammerstein invented the musical book, really, as we know it now. He invented it single-handedly. His greatest, he was a wonderful lyricist, but he was a spectacular uh, book writer in terms of inventing it. He invented it, literally invented it, and the musical was never the same. Um, and starting around the time of Oklahoma, although he had some uh, thing to do also with, um, with Showboat, and, but, but starting with Oklahoma and Carousel and King and I and so forth, the musical changed, and it became book-driven. The score now follows the book around because the story, the characters, the conflict, uh, all of that is what uh, makes a musical work. A musical can work with a with a so-so score and a wonderful book. The musical will work. A musical will not work if it has a wonderful score and a so-so book. It won't work. And so it's really the so it's very important. Very, uh, in, in certain ways, uh, uh, it, obviously. It's about musical numbers, and it's about songs. Well, that's a concert, if you just have a series right. of musical numbers. But the, the book is now what drives the musical. So mm -hmm. the idea that it's a third share, you know, but that's more something for your agent more than for your... So what would you advise someone to study if they thought perhaps they had an inclination toward being a musical book writer? Well, there are things you can learn and things you can't, most like in most disciplines in the theater, although some of the more, in, some of the more mechanical ones can be learned and, and uh, quietly. The musical is, a, is, an, is an animal that is rewritten more than it's written. And you and I were talking earlier about the importance of the road. That is to say, to try a show out out of town before it comes into New York. I've never had a show that what didn't undergo massive, massive change uh, mm -hmm. out there. 
because once you put, for one thing, the collaboration I mentioned between the composer, the lyricist, and the, and the book writer then grows. Then you get a director, a choreographer, and a producer, which is the next, and, mm -hmm. and they're very, very important. And well, so, there's nothing you can study to learn no, these things. No, you can. How do you and then, learn then them? The, then the collaboration grows again. The, uh, the scenic designer, the costume designer, <laughs> the sound designer, the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, all of the other elements of the design team, plus the orchestrator and the orchestra leader. And the so pretty soon you're dealing in around 12, 14 people have joined that collaboration. We have never, one never sees the musical put together till you get the first production in front of an audience. You haven't seen it under the lights, you haven't seen it under the, with the costumes, you haven't seen it on the sets, you haven't heard the orchestra under it, you haven't seen, you haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. You can guess at it. And in what happens in rehearsal is all sorts of things that please you and get every, everybody laughing. Or, and it turns out usually not to be translated into an audience. But you put it in front of an audience with these elements which you've never seen before and you are surprised. You are beyond surprised, you're shocked. And to be able to withstand that shock and not go into instant depression and be carried off, uh, you know, with a tag on your toe is, is, is almost, you know, you have to learn that. And you learn it by doing it. And you learn musical more than any other thing, and that goes for the book writer, it goes for everybody, is learn by doing it. I see. And, uh, you know, how do I get to do it? I have to... Get, you have to do it. You have to become an apprentice, perhaps, somewhere. Well, that's very important to get How? onto a show, as a, even as an, as an intern, even as a, as, a, as a gopher, to watch the process and to see what happens. It is now, the one of the great dangers to musicals is this uh, reluctance to go out of town because it's very expensive and you lose a lot of money. I you think you were quoted once as saying a book writer has to like trouble out of town. If you don't like getting into trouble out of town, <laughs> stay out of this job. It, you know, but I'm a puzzle doer. I like, you know, you're in trouble in a crossword puzzle, you're in trouble in a jigsaw puzzle, you're in trouble. You've got trouble. And working it out, it's the solving of it, which is very rewarding and kind of fun, if, as long as nobody's running around, uh, uh, you know, screaming that the sky's falling, which it is, by well, the way. Tell me about the fun part. Well, What's the fun, fun about is seeing this? it get better every day. Oh, I, see. Uh, I was out on a show, uh, that, and I was working with Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen, who were two wonderful songwriters who had not been in the theater that much. They had, especially Sammy, had done a couple of shows. Jimmy hadn't. Uh, they had written one, they wrote mostly for Sinatra, they wrote for Hollywood, they had hits after hit after hit. And we were out of town in Detroit, and they were going mad because the show wasn't really getting any better. In, in their eye, in, and, they, and they finally decided to, to grab the, the director, who happened to also be the producer, in the lobby after a matinee, during a matinee, and, uh, and just say, that's it, we've had it, close it, put it out of its misery. And the director said, just a minute, before he talked to them, he turned to his secretary and said, um, uh, the ballad is a little, is a tad slow, pick up the tempo on the ballad. And this really drove them off the wall. They said, the ballad is too slow, the show is in the... <laughs> John, and you're telling me you're trimming the fingernails of a corpse, for God's sake. Stop this. And he said, listen to me and get it right. Tomorrow, the ballad will be right. And that's all you can hope for every day. You can't fix it in one day, and you can't fix it in one week. But you can fix one thing, two things, five things at a time, in a day or two days. And slowly, but you have to be able to turn a blind eye to what's not working mm -hmm. and that you're not paying attention to because you're fixing something else. So you have to either walk out in the lobby uh, while it's going on, the part of the show that you know is going to change and get fixed and isn't working, 
Another thing is the audience. The audience is an interesting animal. It is always right collectively and never right individually. If an audience member comes up to you and says, listen, why don't you, don't listen, it's wrong. It's not wrong because they're stupid, it's wrong because they haven't any, they don't know the show. They're, it's their first mm. view of it. They're also not in the profession, so they don't know what, the, what they're saying. Don't listen, but together, the audience is always right. When the audience doesn't laugh, say, oh, well, this is a New York show, we'll wait till we get to New no. Or, it's really good, they're doing it wrong, no. If they're yawning and coughing during a scene, no. They're right. Mm -hmm. And um, so they these tell things you. you can only learn by actually being there and experiencing it. Yes. So, is there a union? Are you a member of a union? Well, it's almost a union. It's called the Dramatist Guild, which I was president of for 18 years, and mm -hmm. I'm still on the council of. And it is the Association of American Playwrights, librettists, as we don't like to be called, uh, composers and lyricists. And it is uh, almost a union. And the reason it's almost a union is because we own the copyright. Uh, it's our show. Producers do not own the copyright. They're, we don't work for them. We lease them our show, and at the end of the production, we get it back. Uh, so they're only, they're only landlords, really, for the period of time that they are presenting it. They're your very important. I mean, they're entrepreneurship is very, very important. They're exploiting the show, you've written the show, and you're partners in a way. But you cannot be a union if you are, in fact, the owner mm -hmm. uh, of, the, of the work. And that keeps that from happening. But in all other respects, it is a union, and it, and it, it, uh, it provides a contract. And uh, the members, the loyal members, of which most playwrights are, I mean, great majority, most of the playwrights follow the, the, the guidelines. Is there a fee schedule? I mean, how much can a book writer earn? Well, it's a, it, there, there is a tradition. Uh, it, it's gotten a little cloudy because it used to be a share of the gross proceeds of the show. Now it's a profit pool. The profit is cut up in a certain way, but that's for agents. Well, how, about how much? In case somebody wants to do this, they're going to say, how much can I make you, you doing can make, this? If Robert Anderson, the man who wrote Teen Sympathy, who's never yes. written a musical, by the way, but he has a great playwright. Uh, we have it almost on the wall as a sampler that someone so the theater is a place where you can make a killing but you can't make a living and that's very true one show one big hit you for the rest of your life because there is now uh, the life of a of a musical after broadway and after the first class road mm -hmm. is gigantic there's probably more money in the show from its subsidiary life that is to mm -hmm. say stock amateur foreign uh, all the things that go on afterwards is every bit as remunerative mm -hmm. as the original Broadway production. So you can make a pretty good living. If no, you, you can make you can make a fortune. Oh, you can make a fortune. Yeah, well, that's but you but a living no. <laughs> no, I'm I'm, not, I'm, okay. I'm being serious. <laughs> a living no. You've got to do something else. You need one big show or a lot of pretty good shows. But you but but it's not. You so you do it time. for love, a lot of love. Well, you do it. Why? Is, it's the same thing writing plays. Why do you do it? That's what I do. That's mm -hmm. my passion. That's my calling. That's my, 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 it, it's my profession. Uh, it's not like medicine or the law where you're guaranteed a practice. You know, you write plays because you must. Uh, otherwise, they're not worth looking at. And um, the same thing with musicals. So say a person feels he or she has such a calling, can they go to the Dramatists Guild and get an internship? Or, no, uh, they become you... members, uh, which allows them protections. But what you must do is to go, 
there are two ways to do it. First of all, I would, I would recommend that anyone in, really interested in the musical theater not hang around. I'm sorry I keep dumping on Cincinnati, but I, it, it's, I wouldn't hang around outside New York. New York is where they happen. Okay. New York is where the, because that's where the people who know how to do it are. And there are not many people. I would say between book writers, composers, lyricists, and directors, there may be 30 people who know how to do it, which is not a, you know, it sounds very small, but they know how to. There are another 30, 40 people who are involved, but have yet to, to manage to make it work. Very promising. We're going through a change now in the musical theater. In the, the old collaborations have either through attrition or through uh, breakup of teams or through whatever uh, are not, the, the only, I mean, there are only two collaborations that, that remain, Kander and Ebb mm. and Steve Sondheim, <laughs> Steve being a total collaboration. Yes. But, but, uh, so, but those are the only mm -hmm. songwriting teams that, have, that really are still working together. Uh, can, you know, Bach and Harnick have, have, have broken up. Uh, most of the people are... Uh, I have done shows uh, now because I worked... I did an original show with the Gershwin score, and I've done this Irvin Berlin show, and I've done two with Dick Richard Rogers, and I've done... Julie I, I'm the only... These are being revived, and I sit there, and I'm the only actual author with a temperature over 90. You know, and it's very strange, uh, you know, not to have those people there because they created so much and they're, they, they're responsible for so much. And um, So you, you're looking for... Well, I work with, I work with and Kander musicians. and Ebb now, and I'm working uh, with Maury Eston, who is a marvelous composer lyricist. We did Titanic together. Yes. He wrote Nine, uh, which was won the Tony, and very talented man. We're working on a show now. I'm working with a songwriter from the 60s who is still, he was very young then, so he's still mm -hmm. a relatively young man, uh, Jimmy Webb, mm -hmm. who is, who is uh, well-known. I'm working with him because uh, he's quite interested in the theater. He did a couple of shows with Michael Bennett that were unfortunately sidetracked when Michael died, but, but, but he's, uh, I'm working with him. So there are people. There are also a group of young composers. There's Adam mm -hmm. Gettle and there's Lucchiuso and there's all sorts of young, very talented composers and lyricists here. Uh, and um, So a, a person who thought they had a passion for writing it for the theater needs to hook up with a composer. Well, get into the world. Get, get into, into the, world. the world of the musical because that's, that's where you'll learn and that's where, you'll, where, you'll, where, where it'll work. You don't there think graduate school or...? Uh, mm, I think graduate school is very important for learning how to construct a play, okay. learning what a play is. For instance, uh, there was a man named Francis Ferguson who wrote a book called The Idea of Theater. And in that book, he described the, what the dramatic pattern, which he called purpose, passion, perception, three acts. Now, drama, just like all stories, are told in three acts. We have intermissions now after, in the middle of, the, we have only one intermission, but that mm -hmm. doesn't change the fact that there are three acts of, in construction. Uh, the first act, the act of, uh, of, um, uh, a purpose is when you meet the people, you see what, who they are, you get some of the backstory, a lot of the mm -hmm. exposition, and it ends at the end of Act One with the act of passion beginning. That is to say, where, where suddenly the conflicts and the relationships go into full swing. At the end of Act Two comes uh, the, uh, believe it or not, the climax. Mm -hmm. It comes at the end of Act Two. Uh, that is to say, an event 
whereby nothing will ever be the same again. Hamlet stabs Polonius through the, arras through mm -hmm. the curtain at that point. Up until then, anything was possible. Any combination of events was possible. He could have ended up very happily with Ophelia. He could have, <laughs> right? Mm. But once he stabbed Polonius, the, the ending was, was put into uh, motion and nothing could ever be the same and it was inevitable what happened. And that happens at the two-thirds mark, the end of the second act, the act of passion. Then comes the act of perception where everybody discovers mm -hmm. what they might have known in the first place or what they've learned through this ordeal or through this comedy or through this uh, whatever. And those three acts are fairly uniform in size. I know it sounds dogmatic, but it's, it, there's some basis for it. If you take a great play and you'll, that it's, that it's uh, 90 pages long and you turn to page 30, thereabouts, within a page or so, you'll find the end of Act 1. And the same thing around page 60, you'll find that climax, that place where it happens. The idea that you don't outline, the idea that you won't sit down and plan up. A lot of people say, I follow my muse, wherever my muse takes me. Well, mm -hmm. your muse usually takes you to some place you don't want to be. <laughs> because your muse does not necessarily have your interests at heart. The <laughs> fact is that you must know, you must sit down. And I think it's one of the sins today is that a lot of the new playwrights and a lot of the great playwrights say, well, I don't like that aspect of it. I don't mm -hmm. do it. It, it, it somehow uh, limits me. It, uh, it crimps my style. Uh, it does, I don't know, it's too mm -hmm. technical. I don't want to do it. But I, I, I'm very much, again, in the Aristotelian concept of unity, I, I believe that he knew everything there was uh, about writing a play. So if you have this passion, you should read Aristotle well, right of away. Well, of all, by all means, read Aristotle. If you're going to be in the theater, the poetics, just the poetics. that. Just that. Uh, but that's good. Anything else that would really help? Well, this book read? by Ferguson is also, it's, it's always in print. It's quite helpful, and too. And that was called what? The Idea of Theater. The Idea of Theater. Francis Ferguson. Francis it's a good book. But get yourselves into a... Even if you get yourselves into an amateur musical group where you are prior to coming to New York, you will mm -hmm. at least see the, the activity. You'll get to know what a musical is by working on one. And somehow the, the, the intricacies and the sophistication of how it was put together mm -hmm. and how it, you know, one of the things about a musical is, is programming. And when I say it's easier to work with the composer lyricist than to come in after or to, or to be before them, one of the things that the collaboration has to work out is the songs, where the songs are. And usually they come, if you wrote the book first, they would come and take your very best moments and turn them into songs. They would because those are the moments that belong, that should be songs a lot of times. They're the emotional moments. Frank Lesser, I went to him, as you know, and I went to him and I said, where does a song go? And he said, and I've never heard anyone else ever, ever say this, and, and it made perfect sense. A song comes at that moment when w words fail, uh, when, em when emotions force interjections. Oh, ah, e, a lot of great theaters. Oh, what a beautiful morning, mm -hmm. right? They, it's where words fail, where suddenly. But a book writer has an obligation. A song is a very formal thing. It has rhyme, it has meter, it has uh, 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 themes, and dialogue does not. And so the book, the job of the, of the book writer is to do a transition between speech and lyric. And you write that. Now, it used to be the songwriters did part of the work by writing a verse. We don't have much verse mm -hmm. today. Uh, people, songwriters don't write verse as much. So the verse belongs in prose to the book writer. And you elevate the, the dialogue, you elevate the, 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 
the language a little, you make it a little more poetic, not poetic enough that it's strange, but poetic enough so that when they suddenly start to sing, yes. it's not it's not jarring sure, yeah, and it's not it doesn't upset you. So that's something that you have to learn how to how to get into. Where songs go is very important. But also programming them. You can't have three ballads next to one another and you can't have two comedy songs coming right after another. And so programming a score becomes very important. The word score is important. A lot of Hollywood composers, the best of them, Mancini and, and Elmer Bernstein and and they come to New York and write, you know, but they write songs. They're not writing scores. And a score is not a collection of songs. It is a piece. It is of a fabric. Mm -hmm. And each song fits into it. And and um, they're part of the style and part of the musical theme. And part a score is not a collection of songs. Mm -hmm. And that's something that has that composers have to learn. But it's also that book writers must understand that that when a, that that a song. Anyway, they take your dialogue, if you've written it. What I say is don't, ri don't write it yet. Sit <laughs> don't with give them, it away. Sit with them. In a, we sit, Kander, Eb, and I sit in, in Fred's kitchen, and we sit there, and we work out a scene. And this is what the scene is. This is what the song is. This is where the song goes. Then we go, and we work alone, as writers do, and they, they write a song, and I write a scene, and then we come back together again, and then make sure that it all fits together, and it's part of it, and then we move on, move on, move ahead. And that way, the, the, you create the thing together. And the whole idea of saying, well, I'll go write the score and you go write a book is, is hopeless. If uh, a person has an idea for a book, mm -hmm. what, what should they do? Do they come to the Dramatist Guild and drop it off? And no, because it's, uh, I mean, you can register it, but, mm -hmm. but that's not the point. Obviously, you're going to have to get, you, you, if you have just a book, it shouldn't be a full book. It should be the, the outline of a book. It should right. be the treatment of a book. You have to find a, now for instance, the Dramatist Guild has a musical theater program. And in that program, uh, you know, the NYU has a musical theater program, which is mm -hmm. quite good. Mm -hmm. um, so does uh, uh, Juilliard. And uh, there are many other places, the New Dramatist. There are places that have musical theater, pro uh, ASCAP has one, and uh, the, the uh, Society of Composers and Lyricists, as does BMI, the, the alternate uh, licensing group for singers. Uh, for uh, composers and lyricists. And they have musical theater workshops, that is to say, uh, symposia, uh, where they play each other their own work and so forth. One of the weaknesses of those programs is there are no book writers involved in it. It is composers and lyricists, and the lyricist usually writes the book. And a lyricist, for the most part, can no more write a book than a book writer could write the lyrics. Um, it's a different discipline. It's mm -hmm. a different uh, uh, talent. There have been book writers who were lyricists. I mean, Commander and Green managed it. Mm -hmm. um, Asant, uh, no, not Steve. Steve does the two. Uh, there are others. But by not large, it's many who separate. have succeeded. Alan Lerner did it, not, but except for My Fair Lady, which was 98% George Bernard Shaw, <laughs> he was not all that uh, strong at writing books. Um, but he did it. Uh, there were some. There were some others. Well, there's an example of Oscar was the best example. Oscar Hammerstein was a master at both lyric and book, and he he had both abilities. But that's like saying I'm a sculptor and a painter. Um, you know, there are people who are. I mean, because it was a sculptor and a painter. But most painters are not sculptors, and most sculptors are not painters. At least not as good as mm -hmm. they are in their own field. Oscar was. What is the difference between adapting something and then? having the original? Well, 
adapting I mean, something. Skills? I mean, I've done both. And um, adapting, for instance, I'm doing it now uh, uh, with Maury Estin. We're adapting uh, a, an old, old play and film that from the from the 20s and 30s. And you use the original as a roadmap. Mm -hmm. You take the elements of it that work. You you have to change it. You must change it. You must make it your own. Um, I did some movies. I did the year, which had been a very successful movie, which involved a lot of work because the times had changed. Mm -hmm. With something like it hot, it was a period piece to start with, and that doesn't change. Uh, with um, with Woman of the Year, which had been a period piece in 1941. I mean, it been done. It was done in 1941 as contemporary. We decided to do it contemporary, so none of the none of the values of the of the of, of the uh, landscape were the same, uh, and so it became uh, quite a different uh, situation. Uh, I've done shows that were um, contemporary when they were written, and when we went to do them again, uh, we made them period pieces oh. because kept them in the period in which they were written. All of those things are big in in uh, in adaptation. But are there, there are different skills required for adapting an not, original work, or it's the same people well, can do the same thing? Writing an original play, obviously, is more difficult than it's, writing an adaptation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's harder. You have to first have an idea. Second of all, you have to know how to construct it. You have to know how to, uh, to, uh, to write it, and, and because you're working in totally unknown territory as opposed to a roadmap. When you adapt something, you have a very strong roadmap. Otherwise, why bother? You have something that has its mm -hmm. own construction already. When did you know that you had this passion? Right after this first musical, I knew I was interested. I knew that I could tell stories that I couldn't tell in straight play. I knew I could tell them in a way that didn't interest me as much. I was not interested in, in, na in naturalism at all. It didn't interest me. But and you so, went to Yale Drama, you said. So you yes, knew when you were a teenager, when you were 16, 17. When I was 10, I knew I wanted to be a playwright. Oh, I, I was born and raised in Los Angeles in a film atmosphere, in a film family, uh, in a film community. And I love film. And I, mm. I've written 25 films. But I was, the, my passion was the theater. I, oh, the, the, the idea of the the immediacy of it, the danger of it. I mean, it was up there, and it, it, it wasn't like a movie where you say, you know, it didn't work, you forgot his line, we'll start, we'll retake. The scenery falls down, we'll retake. The danger of it, the immediacy of it, the proximity of it, the, the I don't know, the danger of it. Is, <laughs> I keep coming back to that. When I was about 15 years old, my parents took me to see out in Los Angeles a musical of um, something called um, Louisiana Hayride, and it mm -hmm. starred... A, a, a comic named Bobby Clark, which nobody ever, nobody mm. under the age of 108 remembers, <laughs> but nevertheless, he was a great, great stage comic, and he had been in burlesque and and vaudeville, and he was very big on the stage, and he had enormous skills. And um, at the Philharmonic, which was the only theater they had for musicals, and the stage was much too large there because it, it held 100 musicians playing. Um, the scenery had to be expanded a little, and it was a very large stage, and I went to this thing. And in walked Bobby Clark, and a great entrance, the audience applauded. He had a little pork pie hat. He was distinguished for the fact that he had big, big glasses that were painted on. They weren't his. They were yeah. big painted on glasses. And a uh, pork pie hat. And he took off his hat, and he sailed it backhand, like a Frisbee, into a hat tree was standing in the corner. I mean, a hundred miles away, landed on the thing. But it, which it did, I'm sure it 
on right. occasion it missed, but it landed on it with great authority. And I said, only in the theater. You wouldn't believe it in a film. Mm -hmm. It would have been enhanced. It would have been done a 50 times, right. or it would have right. been cut in the middle. It's in front of you. The danger and excitement and victory of it was so enormous at that time that I, I, I have a feeling that had a great influence on me, uh, to want to do theater, to be live, to, to do something in front of a live audience. Is it difficult to find a producer these days? Very. That's mm. the biggest shortage there is. Mm. Uh, the ones who are most successful are large offices that handle... Oh, see, the, this is not so interesting, but it's a fact, and that is that the economics of the theater have changed radically. Mm. It's become... It's no longer possible to run with just a loyal theater audience. You have to attract an audience who is not normally a theater audience in order to make it work financially. You've got to get people through the tunnels and over the bridges, and from tourists, and mm -hmm. from, that's why the theater is suffering. The new plays in town are not suffering through mm -hmm. the, the recent, I don't know when this will air, but it, we're, we're really two weeks to the day mm -hmm. uh, after the, the tragedy downtown. And the theater went in, just went absolutely um, uh, out, and I mean 10%, whatever. But the plays, the new plays, were doing okay. I mean, they're doing better now. I mean, the producer is still selling out. 42nd Street is selling out. The new plays, there's a Helen Mirren, um, uh, play right now, Dance uh, of Dance Death, of Death uh, with Ian um, Holm, whatever. <laughs> uh, you look under in a minute. Anyway, it's selling out. Yes. But Phantom of the Opera, Les Misérables, which have been, they've been playing for 13, 15 right. years, they depend entirely on out-of-towners <clears throat> now mm -hmm. because everyone in New York's seen it, uh, at least seen part of it. And the fact is that they. They, they, and so tourists aren't coming, and that's mm -hmm. affected the theater, but you need them. Mm -hmm. I mean, Titanic ran two over two years uh, on Broadway when we wrote that, and we, re we, started, we had to get a new audience to come after that point, and it had to run beyond that point because it was barely making back, even as a success, having won all the Tonys and, and selling out, it was barely, it was maybe not yet when it uh, re returned all of its money. Mm -hmm. We needed the out-of-town audience. The out-of-town audience thought we were the movie because they weren't theatergoers, you know. Yeah. matter of fact, one woman came up and said, is, is Leonardo in it tonight? Oh, you know? no. Yes, oh. So, So it's a new audience in a yes. sense. Yes, And that audience is not quite as theatrically sophisticated mm -hmm. as the New York audience or the, not just New York. There are theatergoers from around the country who come to New York in, within mm -hmm. the first six, seven months who are really theater people. Uh, and um, it's caused the simplifying of the of the theater a little bit to, to because you have to attract audiences that are, that, that, that are moviegoers, basically. When did you know that you had this skill, these talents? At, I think it was, uh, well, I, my third show, 1776, was, was, was an enormous success. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, at that point, I knew that I, uh, I knew how to do this mm -hmm. and that I, I could do it again. Mm -hmm. uh, and that I wanted to keep on doing it, and that was what my life would be. I was still not totally convinced that I wasn't going to be writing a play, or was, mm -hmm. but at that point I realized 1776 was not, could not, people say, why didn't you do it as a straight play? It's mostly talk, there are very few songs. That it was a musical gave it a level of, of, of where we could do it. It would have been too arch as a straight play. It would have been a little bit... Uh, um, Strange as a straight mm -hmm. play, and but as a musical, somehow, 
though it was a very strange musical because it, it didn't uh, have enormous choreography. There, mm -hmm. wasn't, there wasn't a lot of spectacle. There was, but we could, most of what was in seventy was information, mm -hmm. but surrounded with some entertainment, surrounded with some music, surrounded with that level, and people were willing to hear it. And at that moment, you said to yourself, this is my life, this yeah. is what I can do? Yeah. Is that an aha experience? Well, <laughs> or no. Or an uh-oh? No, I think what happens is that it settles in as a kind of, begins as a kind of confidence, which mm -hmm. you then, you know, it's a big thing with writers, just when they start a project, you say, I'm never going to be able to do it. I can't mm -hmm. do it. I'll never do it again. I'll, I can't. I don't know how. You get, as you live long enough and keep doing it long enough, you begin to say, yes, I can do it. Maybe it won't, maybe I won't do it right, or maybe it won't work, but I know how to do it. And knowing how to do it is an enormous confidence that you get. But it's, again, like anything else, it's doing it over and over again. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, uh, this, I had this script, I brought it in because I was explaining that I work on a computer now exclusively. I, I, it took me a long time to get to it. I wrote longhand. Oh. Uh, because I, I was a very good typist. I, I studied typing in junior high school. Mm -hmm. I'm very fast and very accurate. But I found that the way I work, I rewrite as I write. And you can't rewrite on a typewriter. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. just can't do it. So I changed. I, my first, I wrote for about 10 years on a typewriter. Then I changed and wrote longhand on yellow pads. And I was very reluctant to give that up. Until I got to the, so someone said, well, work on a computer. So I went to the computer and I said, I'll use that as a typewriter. I'll, I'll write longhand and I'll copy it on the, one day that lasted. Oh. And from that day forward, it was so much easier and so much more efficient and so much more fun to work on the computer that I've never gone back to writing longhand again, except when I cut a script. I write very long, as most writers do, and to cut a script, you can't quite see enough of it on a, on a, on a monitor. To, to cut in context. So I do that by hand, and I cut it, and I really mark it up, and then I put it on the computer. Don't you also find that it looks different in print than on the screen? You don't uh, find that. Of course, Sometimes, quite a bit different. I don't know, somehow and it looks only, yeah, different The, the only time I need it to look like it's in print is when <laughs> I cut. How often, how many rewrites have you done, for instance, on that? Well, this one curtains. is our ninth draft. When I'm free, I'm writing a show, they're free. And we finally said, wait a minute, hold it. We're so out of sync here. Let's stop and do this. So we're going to do it. Are but you a hired gun? I mean, can somebody call no. you up and say, uh, no. write this for me? No. No. Uh, you decide. On film, it's possible. But I don't like film anymore. The, the role of the author in film is not very nice. Right. It just isn't. Yeah. You're, it's not respectable work. They're not respected. Writer, film writers are not respected by the producers and the directors and the stars mm -hmm. who now run it. And you are simply a hired scribbler who will then be rewritten by somebody else and who will be rewritten by somebody else. And you end up with a hodgepodge that you don't recognize. It's not yours. The money's good. Uh, but um, you, if you care, mm -hmm. if you're a proprietor, if you really care about your work, it's terribly demeaning work, and I, I stopped doing it I, a couple of years ago. I, I, I wrote, as I say, over two dozen films. So you've won an Oscar, you've won an Emmy, yeah. you've won a Tony. You've been True. honored. True, but, but the, the Oscar part was, at a time, it was a little easier mm. to do. You know, it's funny, there was a time when it was an original screenplay, of which there were almost none. Now it's almost switched. They're almost all original and very few adaptations. But you wouldn't be hired to write something uh, well, you're never in the hired, theater either. You're never hired in the first place since you own it. So okay. you're never hired, There's okay. no, you, 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 uh, uh, which is part of the good part. 
yes, people, a producer will call up and say, we're going to do this. Are you interested? I've got these two composers. Right. Are you interested? Well, I'd like to sit down and talk. I find that most of the work we've done over the past uh, uh, 20 years has been, we have, we have uh, generated ourselves. And then what we like to do now, because we can afford it a little more than we could, is to, be, that's the day, theater is still a place where you work without any remuneration at all. <laughs> there is no money until you get it on the, uh, on the stage and it starts going. So there is a great risk involved. Uh, when you get to a producer, he will give you an advance. And mm -hmm. um, that advance is, uh, has gotten better over the years. And it's enough that How if the How much is an advance? Well, usually. on a musical, the, the advance plus uh, the rest of it that goes together is somewhere around $78,000 at the present time, which split three ways. But that's still enough to get you to sit and write another play, right. you know, without having to take a work in a, in a waiting table in a restaurant. Or in a bookstore, so so that part of it has improved, but it's very risky work. Mm -hmm. uh, again, part of the risk is again part of the excitement of it all. But still, but we like to finish the show, then we even get a director before we go to a producer, because the producers today are not the producers that used to be. They're not quite as. They're not entirely men who are excited by the theater. They're really more mm. excited by the by the hit, or the money. Which is the, the bottom thing. line, yeah. yeah. So they're not as creative. So you, you, no. you, on your team, you would get the director first. How yeah. important is the director to your book? Very important to the whole show. Unlike straight play, where he's very important, he's much more important than a musical because someone has to be in charge more than a play. Well, a play, it's you and the, the author and the director, and that's enough. Mm. Uh, you'll sit and battle it out. But on a musical, there are so many collaborative parts, as we said. There are, you know, there are choreographers and there are designers of different, and you need one captain, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and um, someone who will run it all, someone who will, you know, when you're out there in the, in the middle of it all, uh, will be, is the final word on all of this. You have to be able to argue, though, for yourself, a don't lot, you? <laughs> is that one of the qualities And your you contractual need? protection. No one may change a line, a word. No one can add it, change it, subtract it without your permission. Oh. They can't hire an actor without your permission. They cannot hire a director without your permission. Um, approval, not permission. Mm -hmm. uh, so that the author has, he owns it. So therefore, it's his, you know, it's like you own your house. Right. No one can come and paint it without you saying, that's the painter I want. I don't want this fellow because he's a splatterer. So you, you know. have quite a bit of control. Yes, indeed. And that's another, that's the, that's the dramatist guilt. Ah. That's what that's provided. And I the drama Guild is remarkably uh, important and, uh, and, uh, and necessary. And how does one join the drama Guild? Call up and join. But you, I mean, you have to be a playwright. And, well, how you do know. you say, can you call up and say, I, I'm trying to be I've a playwright? Written a play, I've written a play and I want to be a member. Well, why would you want to be a member if you didn't write plays? No, but this, yeah, but this is... But if you people. want to write plays, yes, you call up and be a member. You become an associate member, which is not the final status. Mm -hmm. uh, you graduate to uh, to active membership, which is has to do with uh, you've had a play produced mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in a commercial venue. It doesn't have to be on Broadway. It can be you know off Broadway, and the and the and, and the regional theaters are very very important today. That's where most not so much musicals, but that's where the theater really starts today. Is in the regional is through the regional process. If you had to advise a uh, young person who was interested in a career in writing for the theater, what would you suggest? 
Well, I would say study it, first mm -hmm. of all, either pre-graduate or postgraduate, study it, postgraduate if you can afford it, if you have the time, then hang around a theater. One of the most important things I learned at Yale when I was in the graduate school there, getting a master's, was the other, were the other disciplines. The other disciplines that this particular series of, of, uh, of telecasts are going to be a sound and, and, mm -hmm. and, and scenery and, and uh, acting. Uh, and directing and lighting. Very important to understand all of that. Be an actor, even though you have no interest or talent for it, just to see what the experience is, because otherwise you have to deal with actors. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand what they're going through, you know, if you don't understand the, what it means to, to be up there, I mean, an actor will say, I can't say that. You know, they say, oh, <laughs> shut up and say it, you know. But once you've tried acting, you know that you, there's something to it. If they can't say it, you've got to deal with it. Right. Either get a new actor or deal with the one you have and say, well, there's a reason why you can't say it. What is it? Well, it's too, it's too complicated. It's not my whatever. You can argue it out, but in the final run, it has to be dealt with. Did you ever want to be an actor? Never. No? I mean, sublimating your own personality to somebody else's, and I've never done that. I, no, it doesn't interest me. And I don't think I have any ability for it. And, and um, what the world doesn't need is another bad actor. Particularly when we have such a good musical book writer. Well, I hope thank so. You, thank you so much for sharing this information. You gave us a whole course here, so I thank well, you. Well, I enjoyed it, it very much. Thank you. We've been talking with musical book writer Peter Stone for the American Theatre Wing, I'm Pia Lindstrom. The American Theatre Wing's Guide to Careers in the Theatre is a project of the American Theatre Wing and the New York Public Library's Billy Rose Theatre Collection, Theatre on Film and Tape Archive.